This is a Terry and Jesse show. I'm a one-man car today. I'm, I'm writing solo. My partner Terry is out doing apostolic work. The man never ceases to work for the kingdom of God. I invite you to this holy hour of power. I promise you this hour is going to be high-energy Catholic radio. I've got a Ph.D. in common sense. This is the show where we engage the culture of death with prayer, fasting, and full-contact Catholicism. Our program is not right versus left. It is right versus wrong. By the way, if you like what you hear, then then you can you want to support the show, you can do so by sharing the full show link at your by going to vmpr.org. You can share the full show link at vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at vmpr radio. <clears throat> and our YouTube channel, it's called Full Sheen Ahead. Share us with your friends and evangelize everyone you love. lot to talk about today <clears throat> before I get to the Holy Gospel and the Saint of the Day, Saint Irenaeus, Bishop and Martyr, pray for us. A couple things I want to mention. That uh, June, it's devoted to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. <clears throat> and really June, July, and August are pretty amazing if you think about it. June is... Again, devoted to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Next month, July, is the month where we honor the precious blood of Jesus, which comes from the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And then in August, <clears throat> August is, uh, well, August is when we go deeper into devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And remember, where did Jesus Christ receive his blood from? He received his blood from his mother. Saint of the day. Saint Irenaeus, bishop and martyr. Pray for us. Saint Irenaeus was born near Smyrna, Asia Minor. Irenaeus was an early missionary to the city of Gaul in Leon's France. He succeeded the martyred, the second bishop of Leon's France, Bishop Pathinus. Saint Irenaeus defended the Catholic Church against the Gnostic claims of a dualistic universe ruled by both a good spirit and an evil force responsible for the creation of matter. By the way, Gnosticism is still alive and well in, uh, in, 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 in modernism. But uh, against this heresy, the heresy of Gnosticism and Manichaeanism, Bishop Irenaeus, he proclaimed the Christian God who holds all things in being and gives being to all creatures. And through his thorough refutation of the Gnostic claims, St. Irenaeus emerges as the first great church theologian who created what we call systematic theology. He died in the year 202. And this is a man that the law of truth was in his mouth. No dishonesty was found in his lips. He walked with God with integrity and peace. And he turned many away from evil. Today's Holy Gospel, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 27. <clears throat> Remember, this is uh, just just a reminder that when we're at Holy Mass, the Novus Ordo or the Latin Mass, is we make the triple cross when the gospel is proclaimed to us. 
the triple cross on her forehead. May God be on my mind. May God be on my lips. May God be on my heart. That comes from the Council of Trent. Because we want the word of God to pierce our mind, our lips, and our heart. Thought, word, and deed. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 27. As Jesus got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm came up on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by waves, but he was asleep. They came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. He said to them, Why are you terrified, O you of little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. The men were amazed and said, What sort of man is this, whom even the winds and the sea obey? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a young man, probably around 25, I'm 60 now, 35 years ago, when I started paying attention to what the Bible actually said, I heard this reading at Sunday Mass. I went home, opened up the Bible, continued reading. And I was fascinated because back then when I was 25, I lived in our first house on 8th Street in San Fernando. Um, or was it Lakeview Terrace? Yeah, the Lakeview Terrace house. I remember my garage was filled with posters of Bruce Lee, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky, Chuck Norris, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, Hulk Hogan. My, my whole garage was filled. It was like a pagan shrine to people that were masters in different fields of fighting. And I remember when I read this gospel 35 years ago as a young man, I looked at all the people in my garage and I said, hey, not even Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris or Hulk Hogan or Rocky, none of these people can tell the, the sea to be quiet and the wind to be quiet and the elements would stop at their beckoning orders. It was at that point, I remember where the scales started falling out of my eyes and I started saying, Jesus is different. He's more than a carpenter. He's more than a man. He's the Son of God. And that means he has all power and authority. I remember, little by little, I went back to that garage of mine and all those posters started coming down. It's like peeling off scabs from a, from a wound. Bruce Lee posters came down. They went to the trash can. Chuck Norris posters came down. They found their way into the trash can. Little by little, all the posters that I had in my garage of the people I admired, some of the greatest, again, fighters in the world in different disciplines, I realized they were nothing but frail men just like me. 
skin and bones. All of them would grow old, get sick, and die. All of them would need a Savior. So today's gospel really touched me as a young man where I said, realistically, there is nobody like Jesus. What else can we say about today's gospel? Jesus reveals his divine authority over creation. Jesus told the storm. It's kind of like the parallel of... It's a parallel experience of Jonah in the Old Testament. Notice, both Jonah and Jesus set sail on a boat. Number two, both Jonah and Jesus are caught in a storm on the sea. Number three, both Jonah and Jesus are found asleep... Number four, both Jonah and Jesus are accompanied by frightened sailors. Number five, both groups of sailors call upon the Lord for deliverance. And number six, both are instrumental in bringing about a great calm. Number seven, and the sailors in both episodes marveled at the outcome. This is why Jesus is mentioned elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel as the new Jonah. St. John Chrysostom says this about today's gospel, kind of a moral interpretation. He says, The wave-tossed boat signifies the struggles of the Christian life. Endangered by the wind and fierce waves, God's people are awakened by spiritual assaults and become aware of their helplessness. They call upon the Lord for salvation and inner peace. The near presence of Jesus Christ assures their deliverance and His swiftness strengthens their wavering faith. Amen, hallelujah, amen. By the way, Trump should be taking a victory lap right now. Former President Trump celebrated the Supreme Court decision, calling it the biggest win for life in a generation. And Trump added that the decision was only made possible because he delivered everything that he promised, including nominating and getting three highly respected and strong constitutionalists confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. But he said... Actually, God gets all the credit. Uh, Unelected Joe Biden, he vows to defy the Supreme Court. He reacted to the Supreme Court decision on Friday, calls it an extreme attack on women's rights. He's called on Congress to codify the so-called right to abort babies into federal law. He's also directed the Department of Health and Human Services to make abortion-inducing pills more available and vowed to advocate for women who circumvent pro-life state laws by traveling to pro-abortion states to abort their babies. Yeah, unelected Joe Biden, fake Catholic. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. We're going to be talking about not the deadliest sin, but what's the second deadliest sin? Hmm. Then we're going to do a deep dive on Fatima. Some secrets you may have forgotten. Stick around, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss what's up next. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We know what the deadliest sin is. Many of the saints and tradition, the tradition of the church has told us that the deadliest sin is pride. 
And we're familiar with the seven deadly sins. They're in the Bible in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Even if we can't quite remember them all by heart. But we're well aware that there are some sins more dangerous and deadly than others. In fact, the Holy Bible indicates that not all sin is equal. A lot of Protestants make that mistake. They'll say, they'll say, hey, Catholic, a sin is a sin is a sin is a sin. There's no such thing as mortal sin or venial sin. That's a, You'll find the basic low church Protestant fundamentalist error. Here's where they're wrong. The Bible clearly says in 1 John 5.17 that there are two types of sin. John the Apostle writes, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that's not deadly. Close quote. From this tradition in the Bible, we've distinguished between venial sin and mortal sin. In other words, what the Bible calls deadly sin, deadly and mortal, mean the same thing. What the Bible calls not deadly sin, we call venial sin. Venial sins are those that offend the Lord and His charity in our hearts. Mortal sin are those that destroy charity in our hearts and separate us from God. The seven capital sins, our beautiful tradition has also distinguished certain sins that are called capital sins. The seven capital sins or deadly sins are called such as they engender or lead to other sins. They're deadly not so much because they're worse than other sins, though they often are, but because they're at the head of all other sins. That's why they're called capital. It's not murder or adultery that are capital or deadly, though these are gravely evil sins. It is wrath and lust which leads to all sorts of evil inclinations and sins, not least of which include murder and adultery. It's not enough to simply not commit murder or adultery. Christians are called to an even higher level. We must root out all anger and lust from our hearts. Thus, the capital sins should be viewed not strictly as the worst sins in the holy book, but rather as vices that enslave us and lead us into further sin. We must further therefore focused on uprooting these deadly sins in our lives, replacing them with the Lord's grace and virtue. Adorn the soul with virtue. That's what it means to become holy. Adorn the soul with virtue. Sacred tradition lists the following as the seven capital sins or deadly sins, pride, envy, avarice, wrath, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Much has been said and written about all these deadly vices that grip the human soul. And there are different ways of numbering and organizing these sins. One thing that all agree on is that pride is the first and deadliest. It is the mother of all sins. The numbering after that varies, though traditionally, envy is listed as a second capital sin. In fact, the Bible actually says in Wisdom chapter 2, verse 24... It says, but through en- the devil's envy, death entered the world, and those who belong to his party experience it. Close quote. Notice that the devil has envy because Adam was made in the image of God and because Adam had control over all creation. This is the first text in the Holy Bible 
to equate the serpent of Genesis 3 with the devil. That's in Wisdom chapter 2, verse 24. So, the vice of envy is often explained merely as the worst version of jealousy. It might seem that envy is just another way to explain the sin of wanting what others have, envying their possessions. This is not, however, a complete or accurate explanation of, the deadly, of this deadly vice. St. Thomas Aquinas pithily describes envy as sorrow for another's good. This is such a succinct but, but powerful description of envy and a feeling that many of us have probably experienced sorrow at another's good. While hearing the good news of others, the promotion of a colleague, a friend's engagement, a sibling's success, envy leads us to sorrow, frustration, or anger at this news. It is the vice of envy that causes us to be unhappy when somebody else is experiencing joy. While the sin of jealousy craves the success of, or possession or experiences of another, Envy agonizes that, agonizes that it belongs to them in the first place. Jealousy sees the success of another and says, I want that for myself. Envy sees the success of another and says, I don't want them to have that. So to be clear, envy entails sorrow for another's good. It's not sinful to be sad at another's happiness and enjoyment of an evil that they merely perceive as good. This distinction must be clear lest anyone is accused of the sin of envy when expressing sadness or frustration at another's basking in the revels of evil. Only for the reveler to retort, you should be happy that I'm happy. The sin of envy creeps in when the soul does not rejoice for another when it should be rejoicing. In fact, the sin of envy directly contradicts the biblical command, Rejoice with those who rejoice, Romans twelve fifteen. For when the vice of envy in our soul sees the, the rejoicing of others, it moves us to sorrow. Not only does the sin of envy entail sorrow at another's good, but it also entails the opposite, pleasure at another's failures. When seeing the mistake of another, Hearing of their failure or misstep or learning that some misfortune has befallen them, envy leads us to take pleasure in this negative news. Whether it's taking pleasure in some recent gossip about the sins of a former friend, noticing small mistakes made by the newest employee striving for your position, or simply enjoying the news of a sibling who failed at a task you warned them about, when there is envy in our soul, the terrible news of, of others is good news for us. In fact... The vice of envy completely inverts St. Paul's command in Scripture. St. Paul tells us, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 15. The sin of envy inverts this biblical command, causing us to weep when others rejoice and rejoice when others weep. The vice of envy deeply harms our relationship with others because it pits our joys and our success against theirs. Envy causes us to view ourselves in competition with the world, seeing others' successes as our failures and others' failures as our successes. This deep, deeply misses the mark on what it means to be part of the body of Christ. 
As Christians, we are truly united in the mystical body of Christ and our actions have effects on the entire body. Therefore, the good of, of another ought to be viewed as our good as well. And the woes of another ought to be, be viewed as our woes as, as well. As Christians, we must strive to rejoice at the good of others and weep at the, at the failures of others. Ultimately, this is what leads to love. Willing the good of the other. That's the definition of love. Willing the good of the other. Love chooses the good for the other, regardless of whether it brings some good to us. Love is always about the other. Envy is always about us. In addition to deeply harming our relationship with others and how we live within the body of Christ, the, the vice of envy deeply harms our relationship with the Lord as it rejects the goods He has blessed us with, looking instead with sorrow and rage to the good of others. The virtue of gratitude is a necessary remedy for the sin of envy. Instead of looking at the gifts the Lord has given others, we need to look at the plentiful gifts He's blessed us with. If we truly reflected and meditated on the many wonderful things that the Lord has done and is doing in our lives, we would have no time nor desire to look enviously at the good things He has done in the lives of others. In other words, just be thankful for what you got. It reminds me of a song when I was a kid. Just be thankful for what you got. In fact, we will still perceive the goods that God has blessed others with, and we would rejoice as we ought. Gratitude frees us up to share in the joy of others because that joy already exists in ourselves. Similarly, being grateful for the blessings of the Lord moves us to empathize with those who suffer and to weep with those who weep. Their failure is not our success. The gifts the Lord has already given us are our truest successes. To help combat the second deadliest sin and to aid in the fight against envy in our hearts, ask the Lord for the grace of gratitude. Ask Him, dear Jesus, I want an attitude of gratitude. I want an attitude of thanksgiving. Begin and end each day focusing on the gifts that God has blessed you with and thank Him for them. When tempted to be envious of others, when tempted to be sorrowful for the good of another or take pleasure in another's failures, turn your heart instead to the Lord and remember how He has been good to you. Then rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's what the Bible tells us to do because we're part of the mystical body of Christ. I just want to go back to some of the things that are happening in our country. The political left, and it's even the Catholic left, oh yeah, there's lefties in the Catholic Church, unfortunately, they're called modernists. The Catholic left slams the repeal of Roe versus Wade. If a number of left-wing Catholic commentators on Friday cast doubt on the Supreme Court's ruling and slam pro-life advocates for celebrating the repeal of Roe versus Wade, Many, including academics and commentators from publications like the National Catholic Reporter and Commonweal, claimed that repealing Roe would result in the deaths of women. Wow, they're arguing just like pro-aborts. And these are Catholic publishing companies. None of them mentioned the dozens of recent attacks on pro-life women's centers, support centers by pro-abortion groups. They forgot to mention that. Also, I've got a great idea. Here's a thought. Action item. 
It'd be great if every pro-lifer here would find their nearest pregnancy resource center and make a commitment. Call them up, find out who the, the closest pregnancy resource center is to your house. Call them up and give them a donation, whatever you can give them, whatever capacity you can give them for this year. Why? They do heroic work, and they deserve our support. You've been listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. My name is Jesse Romero. My partner Terry's out there doing some apostolic work. I want to go back and I want to just refocus our attention to 10 forgotten facts about Fatima and 10 important things that you should know about Fatima. Up next, you'll hear more about 10 forgotten facts about Fatima. Stick around. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. St. Justin, Martyr, pray for us. I want to share with you 10 forgotten facts about Fatima and why we should know them as Catholics. I know there's a lot of Fatima devotees. I'm one. And a lot of us know we can kind of nav- navigate around the different aspects of Our Lady's message and some of the events uh, the surrounding the apparitions. And we could also navigate through certain details or nuances. But uh, I want to offer you several points for study and reflection in the hope that they will help all of us better appreciate the meaning of the Fatima message as it relates to us right now. Number one. Did you know that there's a seventh apparition that we're waiting for? So a lot of Fatima experts, a lot of Fatima experts believe that to be the case. Our Lady appeared six times at Fatima from May 1917 to October 1917. However, during the first apparition, Our Lady mentioned that she will return to the Cova de Iria, the site of the apparition. A seventh time. Our Lady of Fatima said this in her own words. She said this. I have come here to ask you to come here for six months in succession on the 13th day of each month at the same hour. Later, I will tell you who I am and what I want. Afterwards, I will return here for a seventh time. Close quote. Now, there's a lot of Fatima experts, and they, they differ in their opinions with regard to this interpretation. But there's nothing against faith that prevents the Catholic from hoping and confiding that this promise would be fulfilled in the near future. Certainly, a faithful Catholic could eagerly forward we could eagerly look forward to such a glorious and most singular event of a seventh apparition. Especially in our confusing and chaotic times. Who knows, perhaps the seventh apparition would, would usher in the, the time of peace that St. Louis de Montfort described as a reign of Mary, in which Our Lady prophesied as a triumph of her Immaculate Heart. Number two, the Rosary in Purgatory. 
Also on the above occasion, Our Lady revealed to the three children that Francesco must say many rosaries before he will go to heaven, and that a certain Amelia will be in purgatory until the end of the world. Here, Our Lady reiterates the salutary practice of praying the Most Holy Rosary as a means to save one's soul and offers it as a guarantee to Francesco safe passage to heaven. Certainly, an invaluable counsel from the Queen of Heaven and Earth. She likewise points out the very reality of the existence of purgatory and even cites a striking example of a poor yet already saved soul who will endure its purifying fires till the end of the world. According to the research done by Father Sebastian Martin, Amelia died under circumstances involving dishonoring her body in the matters of chastity. Shocking as this fact may have been to Father Thomas McGlynn, during his own interview with Sister Lucia, she reminded him that more tragic were those souls who suffered the fires of hell forever because of a single mortal sin. Think about that. One unconfessed, one unrepentant mortal sin will send a soul to hell forever. Number three. So what's the difference between the angels and Our Lady's apparitions? The children's physical, emotional, and psychological experience with the angel of Portugal and Our Lady of Fatima were different. In fact, in her memoirs, Sister Lucia writes, she says this, quote, I do not know why, but the fact is that the apparition of Our Lady had a very different effect on us. There was the same intimate gladness, the same peace and happiness, but instead of physical weariness, we felt a certain expansive liveliness, a sense of glee instead of that, instead of that annihilation in the Divine Presence. A certain communicative enthusiasm instead of that difficulty in speaking. One stark contrast between the apparition of the angel and the apparition of Our Lady is their different natures. The former, an angel, is a pure spirit. The latter, the Blessed Virgin Mary, is flesh and spirit, body and soul. The angel's superior nature drained much energy from the children, which left them in a state of annihilation. But since the children of Fatima are of the same nature as Our Lady, one could surmise that this may explain why the children were more at ease with Our Lady. The human nature they shared with Our Lady found a pleasing and lively consonance with her. One could feel assurance and confidence in Lucia's observation and experience that, indeed, Our Lady was assumed into heaven in both body and soul, a dogma of the Catholic faith. Fourth thing, the fourth thing that we should know about Fatima. It's about the importance of prayer. Penance. Sacrifices. And mortification for the conversion of sinners. 
while it is true that the above is constant and recurring and, and recurring theme of our lady's of our lady of fatima's message it behooves catholics to understand how and why it is so especially in the modern minds where the notion of mortification and penance is watered down or simply brushed aside as archaic or medieval. The gravity of the moral crisis in the world requires continued prayers, penances, and sacrifices, which prompted the three children, especially little Francesco and Jacinta, to practice them to an extreme and heroic degree. At the height of their innocence, the two younger children understood their necessity and offered themselves admirably as expiatory victims. But Our Lady's appeal for prayer and penance made to the children also applies to the rest of mankind. According to Father Frederick William Faber in his book, Growth and Holiness, he says, much is to be gained by us lesser mortals in the practice of mortification for it tames a body and brings the unruly passions under the control of grace and our superior will. It increases the range of our spiritual vision and makes our conscience more sensitive to the discernment of the subtleties that separate not only those between venial and mortal sin, but also those between what is faulty and imperfect. In other words, suffering easily becomes power in the things of God. For isn't it true that our Lord redeemed mankind through His, through his bloody sacrifice and immense sufferings on Calvary? Leading mortified lives encourages us to persevere in prayer. It gives us strength in resisting temptations. It makes us unworldly and it frees us from earthly vanities and attachments. Here's the fifth thing that we should know about Fatima and why we should know them. Because I believe that we're living right now the Fatima message. The Fatima apparitions are probably one of the most relevant apparitions for us right now. The persecutions suffered by the children from family and friends, people and media because of the apparitions. This is point number five that we should all know about Fatima. Sister Lucia, in particular the most aggrieved by the incredulity of her mother, as well as by the withdrawal of their affectionate treatment of her, her sufferings were much more intensified given her tender age. Francisco and Jacinta fared better within their family, for their parents never held a hostile attitude towards the apparitions. Yet they weren't spared from the jokes and wisecracks of neighbors and from the laughter and sneers of bystanders along the road. 
The skeptical and secular media of their day were no less forgiving in subjecting them to ridicule and sarcasm. Nationwide, newspapers stage a bitter campaign of hatred and denigration to discredit the apparitions. Nevertheless, despite all these ill treatments and vitriolic affronts, the children bore them with admirable patience and charity. Always mindful of Our Lady's request to offer their sacrifices for the sake of poor sinners. An edifying example that one should emulate in the daily inconveniences one encounters every day. Here, one is reminded of St. Therese of the Child Jesus' little way. How do we please God? Not by doing extraordinary things, but by doing ordinary things with great love. That's how we become pleasing to God. I'll continue talking about five other points of what we should know about Fatima and why. Stick around. You don't want to miss what's up next. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. St. Irenaeus, pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. I'm sharing with you 10 things that we may have forgotten about Fatima, but these are 10 things that are important that we should remember. Constantly remember. The point number six of Fatima, this is so important for our salvation, so important, are the the five first Friday devotion and the modifications to the five first Fridays. The original request of Our Lady asks one to confess and receive communion on five consecutive first Saturdays to say five decades of the rosary and to meditate during 15 minutes on the mysteries of the rosary for the purpose of making reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in reparation for the sins of men. But in subsequent private visions and apparitions, however, Sister Lucia presented to our Lord the difficulties that devotees encountered in fulfilling some conditions. Our Lord, with loving condescension and solicitude our Lord designed to relax the rules to make this devotion easier to observe our Lord said number one confession may be done within the octave of the first Saturday so long as one receives our Lord worthily and has the intention of making reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary so confession may be done within the octave of the first Saturday within eight days If one forgets to make the intention, number two, if one forgets to make the intention, it may be done on the next confession, taking advantage of the first occasion to go to confession. Number three, Sister Lucie also clarified that it's not necessary to meditate on all mysteries of the rosary on each first Saturday. One or several is sufficient. 
So with much latitude granted by our Lord Jesus Christ himself, there's no reason for the faithful to hesitate or delay this pious practice in the spirit of reparation which the Immaculate Heart of Mary urgently, urgently asks us. Seventh thing we should know about Fatima. The reasons for the five first Saturdays devotion. The reason for the five first Saturday devotion. Now this may seem academic to some, but it would be good to recapitulate here the reasons as they're easily forgotten. Devotions have intentions attached to them, and knowing them adds merit and weight to the practice. The first five Saturdays corresponds to the five kinds of offenses and blasphemies committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And aren't we seeing it right now in living color? The five blasphemies and offenses committed against the Blessed Virgin Mary are number one. Blasphemies against the Immaculate Conception. Think about the Satanists that put during Christmas a Satanic Nativity set next to a Catholic Nativity set in a state capital. Number two, blasphemies against her virginity. This has been happening since the Protestant Reformation. Or should I say actually... Uh, when you had when 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 low church Protestantism came about, probably about a hundred years ago, the fundamentalists, the evangelicals, that's when the blasphemies against Mary's virginity really became uh, prominent and loud. Number three, blasphemies against her divine maternity. At the same time, the refusal to accept her as the mother of, of all men. Number four, instilling indifference, scorn, and even hatred towards this Immaculate Mother in the hearts of children. Low church, uh, low church Protestant fundamentalists that'll say, Mary is not like, she's nothing special. She's, you know, you don't have to regard her. And other things that they say that I don't want to repeat in Jack Chick tracks. Number five, insults against her sacred images. We're seeing that right now. Anytime the left gets angry, they start attacking statues of Jesus and Mary. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, Jane's Revenge, Ruth Sent Us, Occupy Wall Street. Every time the left gets rattled about some issue, they go to Catholic churches and start destroying statues of Jesus and Mary. The eighth thing that you should know about Fatima is that a greater miracle was denied. Most people don't know this. Sister Lucia revealed later in her life that the miracle of the sun could have been greater had the children not been abducted by Arthur Olivero Santos, the cruel and conniving administrator of the Administrative Council of Villanova de Curum. Our Lady originally expressed this remarkable detail in the... In, or Sister Lucia, excuse me. Sister Lucia expressed this remarkable detail in the interrogation done by Father Manuel Marquez on August 21st, 1917, two days after the apparition, but which she left out in her 1941 report. Here's a fitting example of a transgression committed against the wishes of Our Lady, which she left unpunished. 
though no fault of the children, it is lamentably sad to note that the multitudes at Fatima on the afternoon of October 13, 1917 were deprived of a far greater miracle due to the deception, trickery, and malice of civil authorities. The ninth thing that we should know about Fatima is this unknown light or aurora borealis. Sister Lucia considered the extraordinary light that illuminated the skies of Europe on the night of 25th and 26th of January 1938 during the hours of 8.45 p.m. to 1.15 a.m. as a great sign, the unknown light that Our Lady predicted would signal that the war was at hand. Astronomers and skeptics brushed it off as as a mere aurora borealis, though its character was remarkably unprecedented. Interestingly enough, the book The Secrets of Fatima explains the aurora appeared as far south as Galicia, Spain, where Sister Lucia was then cloistered, and she, the only survivor of the three Fatima shepherds, recognized it immediately as the sign. Visibly even to Pius XI in Rome, the unprecedented aurora was accompanied by a crackling sound, possibly attributable to discharges of atmospheric energy. Indeed, in many areas of Europe, panic broke out as the populace concluded that the world was on fire and that the end had come. In fact, the New York Times, January 26, 1938, they carried the following story. Quote, London, January 25, 1938, the Aurora Borealis, rarely seen in, in southern or western Europe, spread fear in parts of Portugal and lower Austria tonight, while thousands of Britons were, were brought running into the streets in wonderment. The ruddy glow led many to think that the city was ablaze. The Windsor Fire Department was called out thinking that Windsor Castle was afire. The lights were clearly seen in Italy, Spain, and even Gibraltar. The glow-bathing snow-clad mountain tops in Austria and Switzerland was a beautiful sight, but the firemen turned out to chase non-existent fires. Portuguese villagers rushed in fright from their homes, fearing the end of the world. And finally, the last thing we should know about Fatima are Jacinta's last words. Jacinta was tempered and molded by extraordinary penance and sacrifice. The 10-year-old Jacinta proved to be gifted and prophetic in her vision of things. She had many private apparitions and countless revelations. Such was her supernatural illumination and holy wisdom that Mother Godino, the matron of the Lisbon Orphanage, where Jacinta stayed prior to her death in the hospital, could only ask in awe and wonder, Who taught you all these things, little child? The following statements were uttered by Jacinta. It showed the depth of uh, the depth of soul in the face of moral decay ravishing the world. Here are some of the things that she said, quote, The sins which cause most souls to go to hell are the sins of the flesh. Jacinta said, To be pure of body is to keep chastity. To be pure in soul is not to commit sins. Not look at what one should not see, not, not to steal, never to lie, always to tell the truth, however hard it may be. Number three, Fashions that will greatly offend our Lord will appear. People who serve God should not follow fashions. The church has no fashions. Our Lord is always the same. Four, doctors do not have the light to cure the sick because they do not have, they do not have the love of God. Five, 
priests should only occupy themselves with the affairs of the church. Priests should be pure, very pure. The disobedience of priests and religious to their superiors and to the Holy Father greatly offends our Lord. Six, to be a woman religious, it is necessary to be very pure in soul and body. Seven, many marriages are not good. They do not please our Lord and they're not of God. Eight, confession is a sacrament of mercy. Therefore, one must approach the confessional with confidence and joy. Nine, my godmother, pray, pray much for those who govern. Woe to those who persecute the religion of our Lord. If the government left the church in peace and freedom to the holy faith, it would be blessed by God. Are you listening, to Bi- are you listening Biden? <laughs> Eleven, wars are nothing but punishment for the sins of the world. And, and number twelve, our lady can no longer hold back the arm of her beloved son from the world. It is necessary to do penance. If people change their ways, our Lord will spare the world. But if they do not, the chastisement will come. Those are the 10 things all of us should know about Our Lady of Fatima. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. I want to give the same Padre Pio would tell us, pray hope and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful and God will hear your prayer. Thank, thank you, thank you for listening to the Terry and Jesse show. We're just putting the spotlight of truth upon the culture of death. We're like a lighthouse amidst the gathering storm, and we're trying to help all of you pray America great again. You can support the show by sharing the full show at vmpr.org, vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMPR Radio and our YouTube channel called Full Sheen Ahead. Share us with your friends and evangelize everyone you love. Remember, what state should you live in? Live in a state of sanctifying grace. What state should you not live in? Do not live in the state of mortal sin. America, wake up to Jesus. Don't hit the snooze button. Global warming alert. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Make sure that before you die, you leave it all out on the field. God bless you. Keep the faith. See you next time.